0: Uh, turn to Psalm chapter 91. You know, last Sunday we looked at a specific verse. We looked at Psalm 37:5. Remember Psalm 375? We looked at Sunday. It talks about how if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you what? The desires of your heart. Amen. And that's a beautiful promise, but we talked about what's the context, what does that actually mean? And we saw how some of these like you know TV preachers Prosperity teachers have kind of wrested it from its context and, and twisted it in the meaning that, hey, you can just get whatever you want no matter how you live your life almost and so forth. And, and that's really not it was, what it was saying. In fact, uh, the context, even when you look at that verse, has to do have its ultimate fulfillment when the meek inherit the earth, amen? And it's often twisted. That doesn't mean the Lord won't bless you and give you the desires of your heart at times here in this planet, but when we looked at the desires of our heart, we saw that the word to delight in the Lord is from a word in Hebrew that means to what? Be pliable, right? Meant means to let God mold you. And when you worship the Lord, you become like him, and, and you, beca- you get the mind of Christ when you look at the whole paradigm of scripture. And then his will becomes your will. So what your delight is is, is in serving the Lord and blessing him and living for him and, and what it ought to be and where the real blessings are, Amen. And that may or may not be material blessings in this earth. We know it's for sure spiritual blessings for the believer, amen, and that he'll meet our, our needs according to his riches and glory. But our ultimate uh, blessing, as far as the material level goes, happens in heaven, amen, in the heavenly kingdom. So we looked at that, and I want to look at Psalm 91 because I thought it's kind of fits with uh, kind of what we did last Sunday. And I want to look at another verse that's actually rested often from its context, and it's very relevant to what's going on today, and that's why I thought I'd look at it. And the name of this message is COVID-19 and Psalm 91. COVID-19 and Psalm 91. Because Psalm 91 is often taken out of context by the same group that takes Psalm chapter 37 verse 5 from its context. About how if you delight the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 91 is taken out of context to mean that you'll never get sick that if you're truly a believer uh you'll never get sick. You'll you know, you'll never get a disease, you'll never get sick and so forth. And uh it's actually being taught in the context of COVID right now in mass in fact uh it's very popular among the prosperity teachers uh who teach health and wealth gospel and they focus on money and every other message or probably more is about giving and, 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 and being prosperous. And if you give to the ministry, you'll get more and more and so forth. And it's actually very repugnant and contrary to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, these are like scriptures that they're often quoted on the lips of their followers and on their lips and then what happens is people are taught that God wants you healthy and wealthy and then when that doesn't happen, oftentimes they'll turn and get bitter at God as though God uh, had said what the prosperity teachers were claiming he said and it becomes very, very destructive Especially if somebody's in a hospital and they're dying and they don't get better, and now guess what they must not have had enough faith right or they must there must be sin in their lives or something like that because certainly these faith teachers, these faith healers, these prosperity teachers, they can't be wrong you know that's that's how the story goes, and many people die a sad cold death in without friends without believers as they get worse and worse in the prosperity movement it's very very sad actually I need to pray for those folks that they would see aright what God's word says and Psalm 91 is one of the major texts that is taken out of context in fact it's interesting uh, Psalm 91 we'll be looking at it but I want to point out to you right now there's a big part of the prosperity movement is what's called uh, the NAR movement NAR N-A-R NAR stands for the New Apostolic Reformation. That's a term you should be familiar with. That's a movement you should be familiar with because many claim it to be the fastest growing movement in the church, not only in the United States but around the world. the so-called New Apostolic Reformation. Not a reformation that happened under Luther in the 16th century regarding understanding you know that the, the role faith plays in salvation as opposed to works and being justified through faith but a new reformation that's apostolic where they claim that there's a new apostolic movement where the apostles like in the first century peter and john and paul have arisen with supernatural power and they're going to get rain the reins of the government they're going to take over the world it's going to be kingdom dominion kingdom now you know sometimes it's called dominionism a lot of the nar movement or kingdom now uh They sidestep a lot of the scriptures that talk about the coming tribulation period. They believe they can establish God's kingdom on earth before Christ returns. They can have the kingdom without the king of kings. They can have peace without the prince of peace. And it's because they believe these new apostles are like Peter and John and and Paul, and they're getting new revelation. And these apostles in these churches often will tell you when you can go on vacation, when you can't go go on vacation, if you can go on vacation you know, how to give, how to spend your money very specifically, you know, and they'll lord it over your lives and shepherd your lives to the nth detail because they supposedly have this con- this this relationship with God that's so close like the apostles where they can dictate your every move. And uh, they claim to be doing the miracles of the apostles and so forth. And, and they teach what's called the seven mountain mandate, that there's seven mountains that these apostles and the church will overcome, and that these these uh, these seven mountains are business. The business world. Each of these mountains, many of them teach, have an entity, a demonic entity that must be overthrown, and the church will overtake these parts of the world: business, arts and entertainment, okay, religion, uh, family, media, uh, education. Government, including the military, and that, and many of these folks, by the way, are working right now, uh, and are connected to the Trump administration. Just to let you know that. And they want to get a kingdom, establish a kingdom of God on earth. And Christ, many of them teach, can't come back until they take over the earth for Christ. Do you think the church is going to take over the earth for Jesus? Do you think the entertainment world is going to say, "Oh, let's the Christ, let's, Christ, let's Christians rule it." The government's going to say, "Oh, let's Christians rule. It. Let's let these apostles rule it." Not without the shedding of blood. And that wouldn't be the kingdom of Jesus, would it? Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom was of this world. Then my servants would fight. Amen? The kingdom does not ultimately come until the king of kings comes. Amen? And the Lord of lords. In fact, the Bible teaches that there will be a counterfeit kingdom. The Antichrist will reign claiming to be God sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And the false prophet will look like a lamb, looks like he represents Christ. So there is a coming counterfeit kingdom. And I can see how these false apostles and these false prophets would fit nicely into that satanic false kingdom. Because the scriptures warn about a counterfeit kingdom. And Jesus said the first thing he warned about in the Olivet Discourse with false Christ and false prophets will arise, deceiving many. And this new apostolic reformation is made up of many people that claim to be prophets of God and, and apostles. And, and Jesus spoke of a whole huge group of people on Judgment Day. Many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these miracles in your name? You know, He said, I'll tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's a huge deception afoot right now, guys. And many of these are teaching that we don't ha- the church doesn't have to go through suffering Church doesn't have to face tribulation. We're going to be the head. The church is going to be the head, not the tail. We're going to take over the reins of government. And that's not what the Bible teaches. When you read the book of Revelation, it says the beast overcomes the saints. Revelation 13, 5, amen. And it's important that we understand this because this relates to, all this relates to this whole counterfeit kingdom. The doctrines that We should never suffer. We should be healthy and wealthy. comes from the idea in the word faith movement that we are gods. That we are little gods. And as God spoke the worlds into existence, we could speak perfect health into existence. And all we have to do is have enough faith. Because actually, actually because God used the law of faith, which is ridiculous. God didn't have to use a law. God is God, amen. And they twist the scripture. It says, by faith we understand that God made the worlds. Hebrews 11. That means through faith, we understand by trusting him in his word that he made the worlds. They take it to mean, No, God, we know by faith means it's through faith, the power of faith that God created the worlds so we can create worlds or we can create our own reality through faith. And so what happens is we are little gods, therefore we don't need to suffer, therefore we just need to exercise apostolic authority and establish the kingdom of God on earth and be healthy and wealthy. And scriptures are wrested from their context like psalm 91 (sighs) a few months back when covid was just really growing there was a news story that i'd seen and uh, a lot of non-christians mocked it because there were different people in their cars that were refusing to do any kind of social distancing at all any kind of uh you know safeguards because they were quoting scriptures like psalm 91 and one lady said in her car when she's interviewed, the blood of Jesus cures every disease. Psalm 91, read it. And that, and what's happening here is people, Psalm 91 is getting twisted to where people are thinking they'll never get sick, you know. And it's just absolutely mind-blowing that this is going on. But this isn't just happening in a vacuum. It's because they're being taught these things. The One of the leading so-called apostles of this NAR movement, NAR, N-A-R, New Apostolic Reformation Movement, Is Bill Johnson over there in Redding, California, pastor of Bethel. And they have all these, you know, amazing stories about all the miracles that are being done. And the media has been following them because it's huge. It's the biggest movement in the world right now. No kidding. And I listened to one of these guys expound on the seven mountains and how we're taking these seven mountains. He talked about how you just have to believe in these miracles. And this one church he said was about ready to go under. And they had a prayer meeting. And all of a sudden, all kinds of gold dust started falling from the heavens or from the ceilings, you know. And that's what they say. That's what Bill Johnson, these guys say, happens at Reading, right? And they swept up all the gold dust. And they turned it in and found out it was real gold. And it was just enough money to pay to pay off their building so they didn't go under. Just such. And when the guy's telling you, look like he, can, he looks embarrassed making up this story or repeating a made-up story. I'm just like, you're a liar, dude. I'm sorry, you know. A lot of outlandish stories like that. But anyway, uh, not too long ago, I don't know if you heard about Olive. Little, little girl. She's in the news around the world because she was in the morgue for several days. And there at Reading, they were saying, no, God's going to raise her from the dead because people had received prophetic utterances that she was going to be raised. It never happened. And it gives Jesus a black eye, a black eye that he really doesn't have, but the caricature that they draw of him. And it's very, very sad so Bill Johnson of Bethel Church, the apostle there, he preached that, uh, that uh, from Psalm 91 when COVID started and noted that the victims that w- would be spared, that, that Christians that were operating in the supernatural power of God would be spared uh, going through COVID and that God would dispatch his angels and that when you declare or decree Psalm 91 and you, and you say it out loud, a lot of these guys teach, that God's angels are dispatched on assignments to protect you. Do you know of any scripture that says you have to declare Psalm 91? That you have to decree Psalm 91? We pray the scriptures, but we don't have to, de- we don't decree and make something come to pass. But it's the whole thing about the, us being little gods and we have power in our words. But that's what the, that's what the occultists teach what's taught in witchcraft. I've quoted before Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland where they acknowledge that the same stuff is happening in the New Age movement and among witches. But guess what? You don't have scripture teaching us to declare certain scriptures and that that state that the words affect magically reality. No, we're called to trust the Lord. Amen. Seek him and draw close to him and lean into him. And this is important. Now it's interesting uh, that he said bill johnson that what was going to happen as a result of the decrees of psalm 91 and so forth is that quote massive healing and revival unlike the world has ever seen would come Hmm. we're not seeing that che on che on i expose him maybe 10 years ago when i did a whole laughing revival series which is part of this whole movement where they bark and they laugh like hyenas and and they they shake and convulse on the ground and they roll and foam at the mouth and say it's a revival of the Lord, the Toronto so-called blessing. Uh, it's all connected to Bethel and this whole thing. And, and Che On is one of the leaders, and he is an uh, associate of Bill Johnson. And Che On, who, who's an apostle, he has a book that didn't come out too long ago where he talks about how he's an apostle, and it's on apostles of the, of the New Reformation. And he was with Bill Johnson, and, uh, and he's associated associate Bill Johnson. And he said, we're to decree Psalm 91, verse 7, And COVID will go away. What does Psalm 91 verse 7 say? A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. And the scriptures in that context talk about a specific, talk about a plague will not come near you. So understand how you could actually understand this verse to say this if you don't read the broader context Psalm 91.7 says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it, meaning the plague, will not come near you. Sean Bowles, he's another Bethel prophet, uh, said six months ago, near the beginning of the COVID period, on February 28th, he was speaking at an event in South Africa uh, with Bethel Church Apostle Bill Johnson, the head of Bethel Reading, and he falsely prophesied, quote, in February, quote, the Lord showed me the end of the coronavirus. The tide is turning now. <laughs> it was just beginning then, folks. Okay. But He told Fox News, quote, it's not going to be the pandemic that people are afraid of. And by the way, Bowles and a lot of these Bethel prophets, you know, the Bethel prophets, I don't know if you've seen our five-part series or heard it on our podcast. Have you seen it? Some of them have over 40,000 listens but there should be far more by now and that's why you want to share this with people we have five-part series uh, on Bethel reading and how we show where Johnson and others are saying hey to be a true prophet of God you have to make false prophecies really is that the biblical criteria no the biblical criteria for a true prophet of God would be no false prophecies read Deuteronomy 13 Deuteronomy 18 but he told Fox News, or I'm sorry, I mentioned what he said already to Fox News, but, but it's interesting, uh, Chris Voliton, and Chris Voliton is another Bethel church prophet in Reading. He states that he had a prophetic vision that God was placing everyone in a prophetic, or I'm sorry, in a prote- protective bubble, a protective purple bubble. Got, they got to throw these crazy things in right there. And that believers would be immune to the virus. And he also states that he wants to send the virus to Mars. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, guys. It's really weird stuff, you know. But people are into weirdness today. Strange doctrines, you know. And these are all NAR people, you know. And these are leaders in the NAR movement, the new apostolic reformation. And you need to have answers. You need to be strong in your faith. You need to know what the scriptures say. And when scriptures are falsely quoted, you need to help people through these scriptures. Because many people are being led astray. How'd they get it so wrong with regard to Psalm 91? Over and over again, they're using Psalm 91. Well, go to Psalm 91 and let's look at verse one. This is gonna be a pretty heavy message as we get deeper into it. It's gonna relate to you, the gospel, the end times and everything. So I really uh, hope you can help come with me as we connect the dots. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse one, I will say to the Lord, my refuge And my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall, at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. These are beautiful promises when you understand the context in which they're written. But what's happening is you have all kinds of people quoting these verses as though they they mean you won't ever get a cold, you'll never get the flu, or maybe you won't age, or maybe you'll never die physically, maybe resurrected. There's all kinds of strange things out there. Verse 8, you only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you. Look at verse 11. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against A stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample down. Now it's interesting, because when we look at this psalm, as I said, we always say around here, context is what. Context is king. Amen. A text that's lifted or wrested from its context becomes a pretext to a false doctrine. You always want to take the scripture in context and the best way to understand scripture is to read it in its context and its its historical setting as much as possible and to read what comes before and behind and always to what the bible says right rightfully divide the word of truth to interpret scripture with scripture amen and understand syntax and syntax and, and grammar and, and, and understanding it uh, uh, inductively, you know, so it's important that we understand and we search the scriptures and we look at context. But it's interesting the NAR movement and the prosperity teachers are not the first ones to take Psalm 91 out of context. Guess who else take, took it out of context long ago? The devil himself. In fact, turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, when Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested of the devil. Quite fascinating when you see what's going on here. It helps you understand the bigger picture of the deception that's all around us in the last days. This is a very, very important message. I hope you understand the gravity of it and, uh, and how this really should be an eye opener to not only how the enemy works, but how he works through the NAR movement right now and those who are wresting Scripture to their own destruction. Psalm chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, immediately he wanted to, he's acting like he's Jesus' friend. Hey, you don't have to fast so long and go through what you're going through and alleviate it. Just turn these stones to bread. But Jesus counters by quoting Scripture: "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God." Which sounds a lot like Job, who considered his uh, the word of God. He said more necessary than his daily food. Then look at verse five. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest place of the temple, and said to him, "If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written." He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What is he quoting there? Only time in scripture we see the devil quote scripture, he's quoting Psalm what? He's quoting Psalm ninety one. He's diabolically wrongly exegeting Scripture. He's committing eisegesis. He's reading into the text an interpretation, something that's not actually there, that if Jesus just jumps like a daredevil, God will have to follow the scripture because actually, actually, didn't God say he would protect you? If you jumped, does it say in the text that we read that if you jump from the pinnacle of the temple, God will bear you up? Did it say that? No, it didn't say that. In fact, it's interesting. Satan was wrongly dividing the word of truth in fact, when you go back to Psalm chapter 90, well, by the way, look at verse 7. Jesus was showing us, and there's a great teaching from the Lord here in his example. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Amen? And It's important to be meditating on God's word day and night. Jesus quotes three different passages that are approximately in the same area of scripture which l- lends, leads me to believe that he was meditating on those specific scriptures perhaps before he was tempted that day. And he quotes three of them, bang, bang, bang. Don't know for sure that he was meditating on those verses but they were all, they're close together and it's kind of interesting. And on the other hand he says, it's written, you shall not put the Lord thy God to the test. What's he doing? Jesus is showing that you cannot take a scripture and isolate it from the whole of God's truth. And act like it applies to any situation. Are you with me? You can't just take a scripture from Psalm 91 and act like you could just jump off the pinnacle of the temple and got like a daredevil and God's gonna have to bear you up because after all, he said he won't allow you to bang your foot against a stone, he'll you know, causes angels to, you know, have charge over you. So Satan misapplies the text, turns a promise into an unconditional promise, as though. God will always do this. So it's critical that we learn from Jesus and that we see that we need to interpret Scripture with what? Scripture. We need to put the whole of Scripture together. Also, it's important that we understand this. Ironically, he's encouraging Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. The temple represented the very presence of God because his glory and his presence was in the Holy of Holies. But the context of Psalm 91 is not about jumping away from the presence of God and obeying the devil, which is what Jesus would have been doing there. But Psalm 91, the very first verse, look at verse 1. If you have your Bibles open or you can, you can go there quickly with your phone, Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who what dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in what the shadow of the Almighty. The context of being protected by the Lord God there and, and, and abiding in the shadow of the Almighty is for those who what? Who purposely dwell in, this, in what? The shelter of the Most High. Not jump off the pinnacle of the temple. So Satan was totally taking this out of context. And the promise applies to those who draw close to God and remain faithful and obedient to Him. William Shakespeare uh, in the merchant of venice wrote the devil can the devil can cite scripture for his purpose isn't that the truth the devil can quote scripture all day long in fact he knows the bible better than pretty much all of us here put together it's been around a long time probably has a lot more scripture memorized than we do but he's adept at taking it out of context thankfully god loves us he's given us Minds. We're supposed to love the Lord with our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. He's given us discernment. We have to choose to exercise that. We have to choose to desire to be faithful to Him and understand what His Word says. Shakespeare wrote in The Merchant of Venice, The devil can cite scripture for his purpose, and evil so producing holy witness is like a villain with a smiling cheek, a goodly apple rotten at the heart. Oh, what a goodly outside falsehood hath. And that's how Satan presents himself. He comes as an angel of light. And the Bible says, See to it that none of you, like Eve, who is deceived by Satan's subtlety, that your minds would be deceived through his craftiness, and that you would receive a different gospel, a different spirit, a different Jesus. For Satan's apostles, right? It says Satan himself transformed himself into angel of light. Therefore, it's no marvel that his apostles transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, and their end will be according to their works, meaning there will be false apostles. Jesus commended the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 because they tested those who said they were apostles and were not and found them liars. Do you know what it took to be an apostle? By the way, the apostles were the foundation of the church. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 that the foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets and that Christ is the chief cornerstone. Amen? How many are in construction here? How many build? build? a lot of you right mark you've been building for decades right he's a, a superintendent a project manager been all those things and how do you keep building the foundation on top of the foundation over and over again <laughs> good he switched it up last year good just finally making progress right you build the foundation and then you build on the foundation amen the apostles and prophets were the foundation and jesus is the christ corners christ's cornerstone the last 2,000 years we've been building on that foundation. Amen. And to be an apostle according to the book of Acts you had to have been with Jesus in his ministry and witnessed the ministry and resurrection of Christ. And the name of the 12 apostles will be on New Jerusalem. Oh, the apostle Paul was an apostle born out of due time but even he saw the resurrected Christ. Amen. And he was a special apostle designated to preach to the Gentiles. Amen. And there's not apostles in the sense of the 12 anymore. However, these guys are self-appointed, self-declared apostles and they're twisting Scripture out of context and saying that we are little gods and preaching all these lies and the Bible warns us about them. And we need to be very, very aware of what's going on. Now, uh, I, I believe that God has risen also true brothers and sisters up that love the Lord Jesus Christ, a remnant that's growing around the world There are true, genuine believers. There are true Spoke people for God who are proclaiming the truth of the Lord. The God, Lord God says that he would give his true servants insight in the last days and they would do mighty exploits and they would have wisdom. And, and But none of the wicked would understand. But those who love know their God, that they would understand. It's important that you fear and love the Lord, amen? We want to be like the children of Issachar who understood what to do in the times in which they lived because they understood the times And Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his day when he came the first time and they missed his first coming. He said, you can look at the sky and know that rain's coming, but you can't read the signs around you that the Messiah was there. And now we have the signs that Jesus said would lead up to his second coming. These false Christs, these false prophets are among them along with the increase of lawlessness and ethnic group against ethnic group, all these things that Jesus said would come, along with Israel becoming a nation again and the battle for the land of Israel, along with this battle for globalism and world power and so forth. And I'm telling you right now, I'm warning you right now, whether it's the left or it's the right, do not get caught up in a political movement where that becomes the center of your life. Be caught up in following the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Amen. Because I'm telling you right now, a lot of deception that's coming is going to be very religious. And it can sweep away those on the right and the left. Because I'm telling you right now, if you look at the right, I mean, I'm telling you right now, with Donald Trump entourage, it's headed up by a woman named Paula White. She's a false prophetess. I mean, you can Google Paul away and you can see she's one of those money-grubbing preacher ladies, okay? And a lot of, lot of wicked teaching. And she's heading up his, the religious aspect of those who are following him. Does that mean everybody associated with him or, and so forth is false? I'm not saying that. There's a lot of strange things going on though right now. You gotta be very, very careful that you stay focused on Jesus. And right now there's so many crazy things going on, it's easy to get whipped up into a frenzy and side with this group or that group, but you need to stand on your knees and look to Jesus, amen? That's what we need to do right now. Now, it's interesting because what's happening here is Satan is trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut. Just like Psalm 91 is misused to say you'll never suffer, you'll never get a cold, you'll never get sick, which is not what it's saying, you'll never get COVID or anything like that. Satan is trying to get Jesus by misusing Psalm 91 to take a shortcut. In fact, look at verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4. Because there's one more temptation he brings to Jesus. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Wow. Now keep in mind, Revelation chapter 11 verse 15, right? says that the king, when Christ comes, it says the kingdoms of this world we come the kingdom of Christ. Not, be, not before, during the NAR movement, but at his coming. Revelation 19, he comes and destroys the beast and the false prophet. Verses 11 through 21. John sees Christ coming on a white horse with the armies of heaven, amen. And a name is written on him, the word of God, amen. And a sword protrudes from his mouth. And it says around verses 18, 19, 20, 21, the beast was taken and with him the false prophet who was thrown into alive into the lake of fire they were and the armies were destroyed and the fowl of the air were called to eat the, the the flesh of these armies you know and christ establishes his kingdom jesus gets the nations as inheritance at his coming the church doesn't take over the earth in fact the earth is being ruled by antichrist before christ comes so if you think that you're reigning with jesus before he comes back and the church is ruling you have the wrong kingdom you're in the counterfeit kingdom now it's interesting, Jesus has the inheritance of the kingdoms that come through the cross. Amen? He needed to go to the cross and die on the cross for our sins. But what is Satan offering him here? Are you following this? He's offering him a shortcut. You bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kings of this world. According to Luke chapter 4, he showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. It was like a vision to tempt him. You can have all this right now, just bow down and worship me. What did Jesus say? Verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. I think that's really cool. The angels actually came not to stop him from hitting his foot on a stone, but after he was faithful to God's word and dwelling in the shadow of the Almighty, making him his shelter, then God gave him, ministered to him, gave him strength. You remain faithful. You don't take the shortcuts. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what happened. And by the way, Jesus said during that time, this is an hour of darkness. Satan was trying to stop him. And guess what? That's where Jesus said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. If it was possible that we could be saved without him suffering, praise God, why would we want Jesus to go through all he went through if he didn't have to, amen? Amen. He says, Father, if possible, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but what? Your will be done. Meaning, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to suffer for the sins of the world because that's what it would take. So we could be saved, amen? Don't take shortcuts in life, guys. When Satan says, bow down, I'll give you this, don't do it, okay? When he, takes, when he says, hey, follow this movement, man, you'll be a God. You'll never get sick. You'll be healthy and wealthy. You know, you'll get a position in the government with Donald Trump. Don't do it. Now, it's interesting. Because guess what? The NAR movement wants to reign with Christ but not have a tribulation period. They want a shortcut. They want to believe we could take the kings of the world over right now. I mean, think about how ridiculous that is. Do you think Hollywood wants Christians running it? Yes or no? no do you think the world that, that we're, is existing right now do you think just let's be honest six months from now you can decree that homosexuality is illegal throughout all the states yes or no think that would go over yes just be honest that won't go over well okay we live in a world that jesus said enter the straight and narrow gate for broadway leads to destruction what many go that way but straight and narrows way leads to life straight as narrow as a gate and straight as a way leads to life and few are those who find it Jesus is a narrow way and he said my kingdom as I said is not of this world so psalm 91 is so that movement by the way the dominion movement the seven mountains called kingdom now I mean we get the kingdom right now and it gets really ugly when you look at the the dominionists that are charismatic and many of them pentecostal. And I'm not saying all charismatics and pentecostals. There are many pentecostals and many charismatics from mainline some of the mainline denominations like the Church of God has written papers out against the NAR movement. Saying this is not who we are. Okay? But then you also have the Calvinists, many of the reformed people believe in reconstructionism and postmillennialism and they also believe that we're going to legislate all these laws were the, if, you, if there's homosexuality, there'll be the death penalty. And that so-called, you know, Christians are ruling, the, the, you know, and so forth. And not all Calvinists teach that either, but many do. So you got these false doctrines. And these are strange bedfellows, by the way. The Calvinists with the charismatics. Uh, it's really strange things going on right now. But these are false teachings. You need to stick to the Scriptures. You need to know what the scriptures say. And I, I'm blown away because I've been listening to a lot of these nar false prophets and apostles lately. And they take so many scriptures out of context. And people are on the edge of their seat listening to them twist these various scriptures. You know, I saw one, one of the leaders of this seven mountain mandate say, quoting Psalm 2 and says, look, the Lord says he'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Look, the nations belong to you. The wealth of the wicked belongs to you. He's saying, we need to just take these mountains. And I'm like, man, look at Psalm chapter 2. Who's the Lord talking to when he says the nations are your inheritance? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's the context. But they twist the scripture and they try to they, they put things that, out of timing and out of context and out of application to the wrong personages. And they write Jesus out because after all, guess what? We can be God too. Now, it's interesting when you look at the context of Psalm 91. Turn down to Psalm 91. What's he talking about? Protecting us. You know, and a thousand may fall at your on on your side your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you what's he talking about what's the context there psalm ninety one verse seven a a thousand may fall at your your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you look at verse eight eight is such an important uh, I believe it's the interpretive key to really understanding psalm ninety one you will only look on with your eyes and see the what the judgment or the recompense of the wicked the context of psalm 90 chapter 91 psalm 91 is god's judgment on the wicked not that you won't get a cold not that you won't get an upset stomach not that your body will no longer decay because all of us are in a fallen world amen Our souls have been redeemed, but the Bible says that our bodies are awaiting the resurrection of the dead, that all of creation is groaning, including our bodies, for the deliverance and the manifestation of the sons of God at the Lord's coming when we're resurrected. The context here is that when God's wrath comes upon the wicked, those who belong to him, amen, and have made him their refuge, him their shelter, are trusting in him, are faithful to him, will not receive his divine wrath. Are you with me? Isn't it amazing when you look at the scriptures in context? Didn't we just do this with Psalm 37? If you delight in the Lord, right? He'll give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't mean you could do what thou wilt and do anything and have gone up some altar call and then you're just gonna get whatever you want. We saw that that's a lie. And the word faith movement, many of them twist that. Well, guess what? Look at verse eight again. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense, that's judgment, Of the wicked. The context is divine judgment. The interpretive key is in Psalm 91 is verse 8. But Satan wanted Jesus to believe that, oh, it's not about abiding in the Lord and being safe from divine judgment. You could just go crazy and show off to all of Israel and they'll accept you as a Messiah. Just fly. And then you'll see the angels catch you up. And guess what? Jesus, everybody will accept you. You'll become king. You know, and you look at the kings of the world. You bow down to me. I'll give you all the kingdoms. Everything's going to be great. Wrong. If Jesus would have bowed down to Satan, what would have happened? I mean, it's unthinkable, isn't it? It, it would have never happened, and it, by the way. How, you know how I know it would have never happened? Because of Jesus, not only because of who he is, but God would never would have sent his son if you saw him failing. Amen. But as a God-man, he wasn't going to fail. He's absolutely perfect. Now, it's interesting. I'm not saying he wasn't truly experiencing temptation. He wept with great tears, Hebrews chapter 5, because even though he knew all things on one level, he didn't know the day and the hour. So he also experienced, it says he learned through the things he suffered. So there's things he experienced that we don't really understand in, in his humanity that were very, very real to him. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me but not my will, but thy will be done. And in theology, we call that the hypostatic union. He's God and man. And that interplay is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And the interplay uh, as with him as the God-man, is there's some mystery in that. But guess what? God's promised to protect us in the midst of divine wrath. Do you know there's divine wrath right now? Romans chapter one, verse 18 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men. Who hold to the truth? Who hold the truth? Down in unrighteousness. Amen. It talks about how they're given over to a depraved mind and God's wrath comes upon them. But if you're a believer, you a believer, you're not subject to that wrath. Keep in mind when God's people w- were in the land of Egypt during the plagues, did God protect them? Yes. In fact, that's some of what's being recounted here. You know, we read about the serpents, right? That was God's wrath. We read about the plagues. Remember the 10th plague? If you had the blood on the doorpost and lentil, you were spared. Remember when darkness came upon Egypt and the kingdom of Pharaoh? There was light in Goshen where where the Israelites were. Amen? Where the Jews were. God protected them. Remember when they went through the Red Sea? They went through on dry ground. But who did the waters, the walls of water fall upon? The rebellious, wicked Egyptians. Oh, there were some Egyptians, there's a mixed multitude left. There were people that put their trust in Yahweh as the one true God among the Egyptians. And they left with the Israelites because God said he brought those plagues that the Egyptians, that everyone would know that he's the one true God. And that's his hope, that people would see who he is and come to him and be drawn to him. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As Christians, we are not appointed to the wrath of God. So when the recompense of the wicked befalls the wicked, you can watch 10,000, a thousand fall on your left and 10,000 on your right and behold it with your eyes, but you will not be touched by God's wrath. Amen? That doesn't mean that you are not subject to the, to the consequences of the fall in our bodies and that you will not get a cold. So if you sneeze, don't start quoting Psalm 91 and say, Devil, I rebuke you. Psalm 91 says "And I am healed. No, that's not what God is saying there. In fact, in the world you will have tribulation. The very book that says in 1 Thessalonians 5 9 that we're not appointed to wrath says in, sec, says in 1 Thessalonians 3 3 that none of you are to be moved by these tribulations, for yourselves have known that for this you were appointed. Ha! We weren't appointed to wrath, but we are appointed to tribulation. Amen? Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We will have troubles, amen? We live in a fallen world. But when God's wrath is poured out during the tribulation period and at Christ's second coming, we will not be subject to that wrath. In fact, go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. God's word warns not to take the mark of the beast, and in Revelation chapter 14, we read what will happen, not to everybody, but to those who take the mark of the beast. Revelation 14, verse 9, another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, because the scriptures t- tell us that in Revelation 13, that the Antichrist, under the Antichrist, everybody would be caused to take a mark on the right hand or the forehead, either the name of the beast or the number of his name, which is 666, to buy or sell. But if you take it and you become part of that one world system, it says in verse 10, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in the full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Verse 12, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Amen. So it's important that we persevere in our faith at this time. In fact, it's interesting when the Bible mentions the perseverance of the the saints, it's not a guarantee, it's a warning. (laughs) that you must persevere in your faith. Verse 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. So he gives us, so man, if you die in the Lord and don't take the mark, you're gonna get rest, amen? But if you take the mark, there's no rest day and night forever and ever. Look at chapter 16, verse two, when the bowls are passed out and notice how God's wrath is selective. Let's say you're in that period of time. You're waiting the second coming of the Lord. And all kinds of people have the mark of the beast. Look at verse 2. So the first angel poured out his bowl on the earth. These are the seven bowl judgments. And it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his image. Guess what? (laughs) Thousand on your right, left, ten thousand on your right. All kinds of people are going to get these plagues. But those who don't take the mark of the beast, do you get those plagues? no are you with me so this isn't talking about not getting the cold or not getting COVID this is talking about not being subjected to the seal trumpet bowl judgments and other direct judgments of God now again if you're like oh wow I could just do whatever I want well it's conditional upon making the Lord your refuge, making him your fortress. Look at Revelation chapter 18, verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, verse 4, come out of her, my people, I meaning out of Babylon as a context, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her what? Plagues. And this is not long before the second coming of Christ at this point. So there needs to be faithfulness on the part of those who are trusting Jesus. You need to be trusting in the blood of Christ, amen? you need to be trusting in Jesus, who he is and what he's done on your behalf, amen? In his death, burial, and resurrection, you need to hold fast to him. This is absolutely imperative that we get this. Now, go to Psalm 91, verse one. Let's look at the context a little more carefully here. Verse one, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God bless you. And I hey, who just sneezed? You need to decree Psalm 91. Just decree it and believe it. No, the Bible doesn't say decree Psalm 91. The Bible says pray, amen, pray for one another. So we pray for the sick, we concerned. It doesn't say decree. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and he will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, amen, my God in whom I trust. So he protects us from the wrath to come. For he is is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. I love this. And under his what? Under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. How precious is that, man? And his wings are depicted as protecting us from the coming wrath. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 56, one. Be gracious to me, O God. We want his grace. Be gracious to me for my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I take refuge until destruction passes by. Sounds a lot like the Passover, doesn't it? Until the destruction passes by. And it's very, very heavy when you think about it. You know why? Because... Guess who depicted himself as a bird protecting his people with wings? The Lord Jesus Christ. And wrath was going to come upon Israel because they rejected their Messiah. And listen to what Jesus said bef- just before the wrath came. Just before he was crucified, I should say, and a number of years before the wrath came. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Saw it, this is Luke 13, 34 and 35. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets and, those who st- uh, and, and stones those who are sent to her how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. See, an eagle or a turkey or a hen would protect their young from the elements, from hail, from wind, from fire with their wings. He said, uh, as a hen gathers her brood under a chicken in, under her wings, and you would not have it. They wouldn't do it. They didn't want to come to him. Behold, now listen to what he says, your house has left you desolate. And I will say to you, you will not see me until you the time comes when you say Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a second coming. And guess what he said in Luke twenty one? He talked about the coming wrath of God that would be poured out upon them because they wouldn't come to him and be protected under his wings from God's wrath. But when you see Jerusalem, this is verse 20 of chapter 21 of Luke, surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. That's those who are following him who have taken refuge in his wings. And those who are in the midst of the city must must leave. And those who are in the country must not enter the city. By the way, the early Christians obeyed this and they fled. Because these are the days, listen to this, these are the days of vengeance so that all these things that are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress on the land and, listen to this, and wrath, and wrath to this people. So being under his wings is to be protected from what? His wrath, amen. And in Psalm 91 if you make him your shelter, you make him your fortress, you make him your refuge, you make him your trust, you, make, you hide under his wings, amen? When the wrath of God comes down, and this was talking about 70 AD wrath, but when the end of the age wrath comes, right? During the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, amen? If you're sticking close to Jesus, you'll be protected from the grievous sores that those who take the mark of the beast will receive and from eternal wrath, amen, and the wrath at his second coming because it says he'll come with his mighty angels of flaming fire to take vengeance or wrath upon all those who do not believe and that who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ on the day that he comes to be glorified in his saints, amen. Are you with me today? Isn't it amazing how the scriptures just fit together? But, but, but what if I die during the tribulation period? But there'll be tribulation. Right now there's all kinds, thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians have died in the last few years because of their faith in Christ, because of tribulation. Listen to Luke 21, verse 16 through 19. Jesus says, but you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death and you will be hated by all because of my name. They'll put some of you to what? Death. You'll be hated because of my name, yet not one hair on your head will perish. That sounds a lot like Psalm 91, huh? In other words, even in tribulation, and the enemy attacks us, he can kill our body, but Jesus said he can't kill our soul, amen? Jesus said in Matthew 10, don't fear man who can destroy your body, but fear God who can destroy body and soul in hell, amen? And he said in that same chapter, he that endures the end, Will be saved. He said that same chapter. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in, in heaven. And if you pr- confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father in heaven. And here in Luke chapter twenty one, right after he says, "Not yet, not one hair on your head will perish," he says, "By your endurance, you will gain your souls or lives." Wow. So powerful. So powerful. So you remain faithful to the Lord, Amen. You trust in him. You don't take shortcuts. God calls you to go through something. You don't find an evil way out. You're going through some trials right now. You don't say, you know, I'll get just drunk and I'll hit the bottle, man. You know? Or you're saying, man, I'm having a struggle, man, because I can't find a wife right now. And Satan says, oh, just look at porn. You know? Just watch porn. That's an easy way out. Don't take the enemy's way out. Amen? Stick to Jesus and deny yourself and follow the Lord God. Amen? Amen? And he's faithful and he'll get you through all your trials. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 8 or verse 1. And we'll see there's no more death coming. Amen. Praise God because at one time all the wrath will be over and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we read in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they will be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. No longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things that passed away. And behold, I'm sorry. And he who sits on the throne said, "Behold, I am making all things new." And he said, "Write, for these are the words; these words are faithful and true." Then he said to me, "It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring a water of life without cost." Verse seven: He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. You know how you overcome? Revelation 21, Revelation 12:11. And they overcame. In the context of overcoming Satan there. And they overcame. How do you remember? by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not live, love their lives even unto death. Verse 8, but for the cowardly, and that's an old Greek word, as A.T. Robertson points out, that means to renounce your faith under persecution. But for the cowardly, that's those who take the shortcut, who say, oh yeah, I want a kingdom. Who can make war with the beast? I'm going to side with him. You're doomed, man. You're doomed. His kingdom's short-lived. But for the cowardly, and unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Wow, the cowardly those who deny their faith, unbelieving, those who re- refuse to put their trust in the Lord, abominable, those who do wicked works, murderers, those who kill people, and immoral persons, porneto, those who are into sexual sin, and sorcerers, pharmakeia, those who take hallucinogens and, and practice magic and, and, and open themselves up to demons, to ayahuasca and so, so forth, and, and idolaters, those who put things before God, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Wow. But not so for the, the believer who trusts in Jesus. Psalm 91 verse 14. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will, pu- I will. listen to this, I will be with him in trouble. It didn't say he won't go through any trouble. It didn't say he won't go through any suffering. He says, I will be with him in trouble in Psalm 91. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and, set, and let him see my salvation, amen? And praise God, we're gonna see his salvation. In fact, as the psalmist said in Psalm 23, four, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Eternal salvation, amen? Under the shadow of his wings. You know what's really cool? Is when Ruth went to Boaz, her kinsman redeemer because she had no hope and no future and he was her kinsman redeemer. You know what Boaz said to her? May you be richly rewarded by the Lord under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She came to Boaz and Boaz said, you've come to his wings to take refuge. Boaz is a type or picture of who? Jesus. Jesus is in the line of Boaz From Boaz, you get Jesse eventually, David, Jesus, tribe of Judah. Ruth is a Gentile. She's a picture of the church, the bride of Christ. Amen. She took refuge in Boaz and under his wings. Amen. Found salvation, a picture of salvation that we find in Jesus under his wings. Amen. Amen. And in Exodus 17 or 19.4, the Jews, when they escaped Egypt and went into the promised land, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, Exodus 19.4 says, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you up to myself. In Revelation chapter 12, it talks about how God will bring the Jews by his wings into the wilderness and protect them from the Antichrist and his armies. Amen? Jesus has protected us. When we come to Jesus, just like Boaz purchased the field, so to speak, to get his bride, Ruth. Jesus said the field is the world, and he died for the entire world to get his bride, the church. Amen? And he told us to go in all the world. Amen? Not to take the world over, but to preach the good news of what Jesus Christ did for the world. Amen? And share it with everyone. Preach the gospel to every creature. And those who put their trust in him will be saved. Amen? Preach repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke 24. Teach them to observe all things that have commanded you, says Jesus. baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Making disciples of all the nations. That's why we encourage you to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a true follower of Jesus, if you're a true believer, you're a disciple. That means you follow him, amen? And it's critical that we understand that he goes on to say right after that, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We don't bring in the kingdom by force. The King of Kings will come with the kingdom. Amen. Our citizenship, Paul said, is not of this world, but our our Savior is in the heavens, and we wait for Him. Amen. We're looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's who we wait for. What an awesome God we have! You know, Mike was sharing when his brother had broken the eight ribs and the clavicle and the sternum and all you know all kinds of stuff, punctured the that his brother just went through some radical surgery, but his brother says that I can tell people are praying because the kind of peace Doug says that he has in the midst of his suffering is is inexplicable except by the supernatural power of Jesus. He doesn't promise us that we won't suffer, but he promises to be with us in our suffering, amen? So we need to look to him and love him and not take shortcuts in life, but stick to Jesus. And we're going through hard times, hold fast, amen? Because guess what? He that endures the end, or as it says in the King James, in your patience or perseverance possess ye your souls. Amen. Let's continue to trust Jesus. Can we all please stand?